Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. Good day. I'm Rob Black, talking investment strategy, setting goals, priorities, investments, income. Had a little pillow talk this morning about with my spouse, because we have a family member who's going through some trouble on her side. And we talked about a little bit about the difference between income where it gets you in life, where income plus investments get you in life and income plus the ability to save plus investments gets you in life. I have a good income. I've got great investments and I would say my ability to save is probably my weakest area. How would you rate those three skills for you? And basically during our little pillow talk, we are talking about how we have a 18 year old relative 19 year old who's trying to figure out his way in life and I, he's not doing well. And one of the things we've, I've suggested is has anyone in the family ever suggested the military because he didn't quite finish high school, got close and he has no interest in college. And the family from California that I married into, they're kind of like the military's warmongers. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a job program. They're like, no, no, it's a, you're a warmonger. I don't want my kid to go off and fight in Ukraine. I'm like, no, no, no. Well, very few people actually ever see any action in the military, but it takes people from Louisiana. It takes people from Mississippi. Emma, cocoletta, cocoletta, ah, hunchback letter, hunchback letter. Um, it takes people with high school education and gives them a career. And I was explaining it to my sugar bugger on Pillow Talk, where I was like, yeah, you know what? My dad was an officer, so he went to college and he got to control people who didn't go to college, non-commissioned officers. Um, But they all came from Louisiana and you've seen the movies where they're like, where are you from? I was like, I'm from Arkansas. I can shoot like a squirrel. Probably not college educated if you can shoot a squirrel, right? Um, But we're talking about that. And my angle is military is a job program in the United States that's not celebrated as a job program. But it does a lot of good things. So I was like, I don't know when you hit rock bottom, when you don't really want to get a job and you want to finish high school, where do you go? But what area is where you can go is the military. This show really brings up a whole lot of ideas. And that's my goal here. Um, If one of my kids were to go to the military, I would be fine with it. I think the military does a good job of turning lazy kids into a little bit more discipline. Um, Do I want them to be career military? Probably not. I see more potential and the military has a ceiling. My dad hit that ceiling, for instance, college degree. When he got out of the military, he was able to up his salary by about 50% on day one. And, but that was after 30 years. And he basically got kicked out after 29 because the military if you're not advancing in rank, they kind of force retirement on you. And if you don't make general after five years, you're never going to make general. My dad made it one level under general. 
and the way I explain it to people on like my children, for instance, is why did, why wasn't your dad in general? I was like, well, he could have been, but he was a bit of an a-hole. He was a little bit of a jerk. When he saw something he didn't like, he talked about it. And he always tried to make his men who were commissioned under him better and safer. Um, and he ruffled feathers by that. So I don't know. You learned a little thing about raising children right there. Um, you learned a little bit about the difference between me who has a good income versus me who has a great investment versus me who's not a great saver. What are you? And practicing all three of those skills is amazing. I begrudgingly invested more in my mid-20s. In my early 20s, I was happy to invest as an idea of one day I'll replace my income by living off my investments. But as I started seeing that wasn't really the path that I was taking, I upped my investment game so that I can enjoy some of the things in life before I get wiped off this planet with whatever's going to wipe me off. Six and a half million Americans have died of COVID. and It's about 100 times more dangerous than a seasonal flu. So let's not compare it to that. Let's just say it's a, whatever you want to say. It is what it is. I have no problem swimming with sharks. I'm more afraid of COVID than I am swimming with sharks. I've swam with Barracuda, not knowing the Barracuda are incredibly aggressive. What, what I didn't know didn't kill me this time. Um, so how can I become a better saver? I'm not really great at that. I'm not really a coffee drinker. So I don't have to cut back from Starbucks to brew from home. I'm not really a huge eater, but when I do eat, I do splurge on nice restaurants, but I, I cook most meals at home. Um, where do I cut? Interesting questions in my mind. Um, and again, <clears throat> as an investor, I try to beat the system by studying more than you. I'm not smarter than you. I wasn't born with an investment gene. I just knew that it was going to be a way of getting me to where I want it to go. So I study a lot. Now, saving again, hmm. I like games. So if I can gamify saving, I do. And let me give you a quick example. I've got solar power. Bought a home last year and it's like, okay, I'm just do it. Now, in my head, I know it's a bad lifetime investment for me. Spending $60,000 to get a 10-year return of $60,000 plus, my money in the stock market would probably be worth $120,000, but I'm willing to lose on this one. Uh, the upfront costs are very expensive. The payoff is a long time, and that same money put in the stock market would be better returns. And I could probably give money at that point in time to buy carbon offsets. <laughs> but again, this is where when you gamify it, it makes more sense for me. So I have an app on my phone that shows me solar consumption. I'm like, oh, and I've learned how to decipher a PG&E bill because there's like seven or eight rate plans you could be on. And if you've got a solar vehicle or an electric vehicle, it's a different rate plan that you want. Like it's pretty complicated. And I, I think even if you had a Rosetta Stone, you probably wouldn't be able to decipher everything on your bill. Um, but when you gamify it and you're like, okay, 
if I use energy from 9 p.m. to 3 p.m., that's my best use. And if I do it on an EV20 chart, and then I'm like, okay. So I've cut my consumption down easily by 25% in less than three months. And I've cut my bill down by 50% in those three months based on the idea of using electricity at the right time and pushing my kids to do the same thing. So we don't run a dryer in our house. Oh, here's how, here's how crazy I am right now. I thought about buying a clothesline yesterday. So, you know, I've been in a new home for roughly a year. Um, doing the blankets on top of beds is like, it's a process. They're big, they're soft. Uh, they get dog hair on them. So you got to wash them, but then they have to dry them. I'm like, I'm thinking about doing a, a, a a clothesline. Like my parents had clotheslines and my mom used to, like, we never ran a dryer as a kid. Everything was dried outside in the sunshine. Now again, it bleaches it. And, but again, clothes are cheap and we tend to throw them away. And I'm kind of pro clothesline. I kind of wish if I saw a clothesline in the back of someone's yard, I would definitely get one. I know you're saying you're doing a lot, Rob. <laughs> you're overthinking this, but a dryer is like the most expensive thing you could run in your house next to like a pool pump next to an EV charger. Those are the things that are like expensive. I never dry clothes from three to nine when it's most expensive to dry them in my rate plan. What's your rate plan? Do you save? Do you invest? Do you earn more money? What's your plan? What's your strategy? What are you good at? What are you bad at? Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Any tips on saving? I can use them. I'm Rob Black. The fortune-making spirit of today's marketplace, The Rob Black Show. Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. I think I mix a little bit of behavioral psychology with finance, and I try to show you that practically I was raised in a military family, which is kind of lower middle class until later in life, you're kind of middle class. Maybe you're starting to breach upper middle class in that kind of system. I've done well for myself. I think we all are different people and we all come from different backgrounds. My father was an orphan, so his parenting skills sucked. He didn't have anyone to copy off of, but his ability to continue to move the ball forward was was always something I respected. He didn't let anything stop him. When it comes to investing and getting your retirement, we're going to try a lot on the show. Um, the one thing I don't want you to do is lose money. Because it's the one thing that'll turn you off to me and you'll be like, oh, so every now and then I get emails that are just kind of wackadoodle. And my number one goal is like, okay, we need to control you a little bit. Got an email yesterday from a man named Travis. He dropped me an email, rob at robblackshoot.com. This one was pretty innocuous. He goes, Rob, just wanted to say I've been a long time listener. Really appreciate you. Uh, Commentary, insightful, but also humorous. I'm an ex-Robin Hood employee that listened to Robin Hood. I guess that during the pandemic, he kind of tuned me out and was focused more on Robin Hood. That's fine. He says, I've left that job and now I'm back to driving to work and listen to you. And 
just want to meet you in person one day and possibly buy a beer. That's very, very, very sweet. And I had a lot of questions. First and foremost, he's, his email was from Stanford alumni. So I was like, hey, um, what you got your degree in? How did you like working for Robinhood? Um, did you like campus life on Stanford? Because Stanford's business school is awesome. Um, I used to give speeches there on a regular basis down when I lived in that area. And I enjoyed just going to the cafeteria, the business school cafeteria, because um, the food is delicious. And it's like not, and again, you're like, you're a weirdo, Rob. You're talking about cafeteria food when you're talking to college. I do like talking to college kids because I do think that our future is with their minds. I'd rather be, I'd rather my kid grow up building robots than operating robots. And at Stanford, they teach you how to build the robot. Um, <clears throat> but I have no problem when someone says, I tune you in, I tune you out. I get it. Got an email from Mark. Mark dropped an email that was, he was that 91-year-old man that CFP Chad Burton and myself talked to on Friday on email. 91 years old, has $174,000 balance on his home loan, 2.25% interest, 15-year fixed. Um, should I pay it off? He goes, my cash flow is more than enough to. And I think a bigger question here, since you're not getting the tax deductions on the uh, <clears throat> depreciation, you're not getting the, the benefits that you used to get from owning real estate. Um, I, I think get your estate plan in order. Talk with a financial planner. Say, hey, does my estate plan look good? You're 91. Unless you're a vampire, your time is limited and it can be a matter of seconds. Once I hit 50, I'm like, I can go down in a couple of days. When I hit 60, I can go down in a snap of a finger. Um, and I was like, oh, by the way, do you have your home in a trust? Because you live in California and right now at 91 years old, I'd be more estate planning than anything else. Like, so when you, when he dies, if his home is not in a trust, his kids have to wait a year to see if anyone challenges. It. And let me tell you, people will. Um, a friend of mine, her father passed away last year. Not a friend of mine, a friend of my wife. Father passed away last year <clears throat> and the house goes into probate. And the mom has dementia and the dad died. And out of nowhere, a boyfriend of the mom's, i.e. ex-lover, said, that house is part mine. And you're like, wait, 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 what? You're, you just buried your father. Your mom has dementia. She's going into a home. And one of her ex-lovers is challenging it in court. Yep. <laughs> the question was asked to the daughter, do you think your dad knew your mom had an affair? And she's like, nope. And this would have all been fixed with a trust. <clears throat> and now crazy dirty laundry on the family has to be dug up the year that they're mourning their first year without dad at Thanksgiving. They're mourning their first year without dad at Easter. So the two siblings are dealing with mom had an affair <laughs> and they had to get basically a court order for the guy to stay away. Um, a restraining order. Because he was visiting the mom in the old folks' home trying to get her to sign stuff over to him. Um, get a trust, ladies and gentlemen. It's never too late. If you own a home, it's never too late. And if you need a referral to a trust attorney, please drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Um, but I found that funny. And I hope it's kind of insightful for you. Okay, got an email from Margie. Do you think everyone should have some kind of physical asset on hand in case the world goes to hell? Gold nuggets, silver coins, paper money, a diamond. What physical asset form of currency do you think would be valuable? 
And I'm asking Margie, have you ever listened to my show? Um, if the world goes to hell in a handbasket, I think you want a shotgun. I've never bought a loaf of bread with a gold nugget or with silver coins. Silver coins? Do you know what the markup on gold, silver is and diamonds? It's tough for you and I to buy these kind of commodities because the markup to retail is 30% to buy and 30% to sell. So when you hear a commercial like this, now the time to buy gold, <clears throat> hell yeah, it is because you're making the guy a big fat 30% commission. Is it going to work out for you? Nope. I've never seen anyone who hoarded gold or silver or diamonds. Eh, maybe diamonds. I've never seen anyone who hoarded things for a worst case scenario end up wealthy or end up happy they did it. I'm going to say it's old school, but it's like old school. Like I got to be careful not to offend nothing. I was going to say old school Italian, like mafia and like, no, it's not do that one. <clears throat> but it's almost, it's almost old school. Like, do you have a gun? Do you have, do you have like a hundred dollars in gold balls? Do you have gold balls? I'm like, who has gold bars? And use the word R in a letter R in bars, not H. It's not gold balls, gold balls. So my response to her was, uh, I don't see worst case scenarios. I, I don't count on them. I'm not glass half full. I'm not glass half empty. I'm moderation to moderation. I think the economy and stock markets have seen a lot worse than what we're going through. I have never bought food or shelter with gold or silver. I don't use paper money anymore, so I don't hoard paper money. A diamond is overpriced already with huge markups than costs when you want to sell as well. If you want to own something that plays off the high commodity, crazy thing that's going on with, with commodities right now, you can own a hard asset ETF. No problem with that. And yes, you will be protected for with commodity inflation. And if you want to put 5 to 10% of your portfolio in that, I have no problem. I'd rather you do it with a professional guidance. But hoarding gold nuggets, does someone really, did 21st century, someone asked me if I have gold nuggets? I don't even have chicken nuggets, like gold nuggets in the house. What world are you living in? Margie, good luck to you. You can find me online at rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Honest, straightforward, and right to the point. The Rob Black Show. March is a cool month. I know you're saying why. Well, today's March 15th. Yesterday was March 14th. March 14th is National Pie Day. Maybe it's International Pie Day, and I love pie. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's the math formula, 3.14? It helps you figure out a circumference of how long to walk around a lake. Ooh, I just thought it was Pi Day. Whoops, I made it bad. Today is March 15th, also known as the Ides of March, a term coined by the ancient Romans. The Romans, the word Ides meant to divide. It had an entire practicality of the middle of the month. It wasn't sinister. It was the marking of a passage of time of the moons. And yet we've turned it into, this is the day where someone's going to turn against uh, Julius Caesar. I was thinking Julius Shakespeare. I'm like, no, that's not it. Don't say Julius Shakespeare. Julius Caesar. So Bill Shakespeare, also known as Wild Bill Shakespeare, he wrote a play of the same name, Julius Caesar. And the senator had seized power from the Roman Republic, made himself a dictator, 
Plutarch, who was a Greek biographer and SAS, reportedly observed that Caesar was warned to be, be beware the Ides of March, because that's how you're always warned, right? By a soothsayer. I know you're saying that is a job description you don't see on LinkedIn very often, soothsayer. But Caesar, he didn't beware the Ides of March, and he went in front of the Senate, and well, it didn't end well for him. He was murdered by a group of 60 rival senators. It makes you think Trump might have read that when he said Pence to the Capitol building. Nah. Just go play with those senators over there. January 6th versus March 6th. I know you're saying that is political humor tied towards wild Bill Shakespeare, and I like it. I know. I know. I'll be here all day. Don't forget to zip your waiters and waitresses. And don't forget to try the veal. It's delicious. When is baby cow not delicious? Mm. Until the assassination, the historical day was known for its festivals feast and celebrations, but because someone decided to kill Julius Caesar on the 15th, it turns into a bad day. So how are you going to celebrate your Ides of March today? Are you going to go talk about it with friends and neighbors that it was actually a kind of a a day to figure out planting season? Or are you going to go talk about how it's a day to screw over your coworker? Tell the boss on him. Write him out. Welcome to a bear market, ladies and gentlemen. The NASDAQ closed down more than 20% from its peak for Netflix. It's like the pandemic never happened. Their shares are below March 2020. And in the pandemic, I watched a lot of Netflix. I probably watched more Netflix in the last two years than I watched in the last 10 years. Right? Um, I probably watched more of Netflix in the last two years than I watched of all TV in the last 10 years. In Ukraine, the evacuation convoy of 160 cars was able to leave the besieged city of Maripol, where residents are facing critical shortages of essential goods. Ukrainian President Zelensky will deliver a virtual address to Congress today. Let's hope that after 40 minutes, he doesn't get a message up from Zoom saying, uh, time's up, time's up, <laughs> wrap up, you're finished. And I know you're saying, isn't that kind of crazy now that we have Zoom? It is a little bit like Star Trek where we have a federation and you can get on video calls and you can be at war and plead for help uh, with, with congressional leaders halfway around the world. Uh, that is my way of not getting political with this conversation. Um, the world is a messed up place, not just Ukraine. The number of women who die giving birth in the world is shocking. The number of people who've died from COVID who didn't have to die is shocking. The amount of bad science rhetoric being passed around is embarrassing. I'm not getting caught up in the news, though. Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine has sent a wake-up call to European countries that have left their militaries to languish. Um, Germany said it will buy 35 F-35 jets and 15 Euro fighters to replace its geriatric fleet of tornado jets. Um, So as an investor, do you not see Lockheed Martin and Boeing? Boeing makes a lot of defense systems. Lockheed Martin makes a lot of uh, weapons of mass destruction. Our jet fighters are scary. They're awesome, but they're scary. If you've ever seen one in person, it's scary. If you ever had one fly near you, it's scary. But the underinvestment has left Europe feeling a little vulnerable. Here's a question for you. Are you underinvested anywhere in your life? I'm a little underinvested in insurance. I'm a little underinvested in preventative maintenance. Things can go bad quickly. The war in Ukraine has shifted the mindset on Capitol Hill. Democrats have previously opposed increasing Pentagon spending, like chairman of the Armed Service Committee, Representative Adam Smith. He said the game's changed, and we got to up our military spending. So if you don't see that as a theme, 
you're missing what investing is all about. Now, again, how do you feel about investing in Lockheed Martin now that a war is broken out? Do you feel like, should you feel guilty? I'm not answering that for you. I owned Philip Morris years after my dad died of cancer. Do I have a moral conscience? No. Do I really? Probably. Fascinating scene yesterday when there was a courageous protest on Channel One, which is a Russian state TV station. I just like this as a journalist. I hate it that the woman's in jail and she's probably being tortured right now, but she got behind the newscaster with a sign that said, Russians against war, they're lying to you. Um, It's one of those weird moments when you see it, you're like, this woman just did the bravest thing possible and put her life basically ruined. If Putin stays in power, she's a dead woman. And you're like, wow, that's what free speech is all about. So today, when you're talking about wear your mask, dummy, or don't wear your mask, dummy, at least you got free speech and you're not in jail for it. For a sign that says no war, she's probably going to lose her life. So appreciate what you have in this world, eh? Pete Davidson. Ah, okay. Here's where I get kind of creepy. He's dated some of the most beautiful women on the planet in the last two years. Or at least some of the most interesting one, right? The girl from Bridgerton, the Ariana Grande, Kim Kardashian, the hot chick who played a vampire. And wasn't she in a Pearl Harbor movie, even though she's English? And you're like, yeah, that one. Well, he's decided to go into space. Didn't Saturday Night Live do a skit with Elon Musk that they sent Pete Davidson to Mars where he died? And Elon Musk laughed at him. Yeah. And so this is where like, Blue Origin stepped in and said, we'll take the free publicity and we'll we'll send him up to space for a couple of minutes. Um, And then I go like, how's Pete Davidson a celebrity? And I don't get it. I'm not paid to get it. I saw the Kardashians um, sizzle reel for a new show on Hulu. They're going to get paid nine digits to basically show us their fake lives that are scripted. Let's go to a spot today and fight over mud. And we're going to pay nine digits for this. I don't think I'm as upset at Joe Rogan's salary as I'm upset at the Kardashians. Just being honest, I just don't get the love affair of watching fake people live fake lives. So there's a bear market going on in speculative stocks. There is a bear market going on in the index of the NASDAQ from top to bottom. I love bear markets because I'm in my 50s. I loved them in my 40s. I didn't understand them in my 20s. I was a little bit like, is this good or bad in my 30s because I was starting to accumulate wealth. I love them now. I love them. 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 I don't love them for the people that are hurting. I love them for the opportunity that gives me my life and for the kind of cleansing of things that are like a little bit too popular. Could we get a recession on the Kardashians, please? I'm Rob Black. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. So one problem that our financial system has in the United States and around the world is leverage. Um, let's talk about this for a quick, quick frickin' frackin' second or two. So this will probably be best explained with the 2006, 2008 real estate crisis that we hit in the United States, where from 2000 to 2005, for lack, let's just put it in the easiest terms understandable, 
politicians in America was like, oh, there's been so much money made in stocks and so much money made like uh, in real estate. We want the average person to be able to buy stocks in real estate. And our government or Congress, who I've come to the conclusion that the House of Representatives is really, really dysfunctional in the United States um, because you get people who represent a very small portion of the United States and they try to do it with the loudest microphone possible. And we had people, and I'm not picking on Barney Frank, but for this example, it shows you leverage. Okay. So Barney Frank out of Nevada was like, uh, I don't think it's right that uh, Rob, who is Caucasian, who is college educated, owns a home and has made $100,000 in price appreciation this year off his home. And my constituent who went to high school, works hard, drives a bus, he's shown a home as well. And he should get the same returns Rob gets. That's a bad idea. Because the people who are lending the money look at me and they go, okay, I see you got some Apple stock. So we'll give you $500,000 for a home, but you're going to put that Apple stock up as collateral. You may not know how much collateral you're signing on your mortgages. It's a lot. And we got to a point where we're a little bit too loose. You know, I like moderation, moderation. I don't like things too tight. Two years ago, three years ago, it was really tight coming off the great resignation or the great recession. Great resignation is something different coming out of COVID, right? Um, so we got too tight with our lending standards and then we got too loose with our lending standards in the early 2000s. And the early 2000s, what happened was, let's say there was 10 loans for 500,000. Uh, let's just go with one loan for 500,000. That means the bank that gave me that loan, it could have been Countrywide Credit, it could have been Penny Mac. They probably have 20 more loans out there worth 500,000. Now, in actual dollars, they only have $500,000 in the bank, but they're allowed to to spread it to over 20 times leverage. So when one person fails on their mortgage, the bus driver, because Barney Frank said everyone should get a loan and his credit score was 450 and mine was 810, he gets access to the same loan that I get access to, probably higher terms, probably plays more for it because I have a better credit score. I get lower, better terms. But when one loan fails, it brings down 10 loans. 10 loans, the bank's like, okay, we have to call half these loans back. And the bus driver, he screwed it up for Rob. So we're going to ask Rob back. I'm like, wait, 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 what? So that's the worry when you run into a situation like a Russia and default or an Orange County default or any sort of pension plan or hedge fund that's like, if a hedge fund has a wrong bet, just one wrong bet, let's say they think uh, NVIDIA is a $30 stock and they think it's going to zero, but it goes to 300. Then suddenly that hedge fund has to sell their good stocks to pay for the bad stock. And by selling good stocks, you drive the price lower of all good stocks. In this case, let's say they have 25 good stocks, one bad stock but they have to sell half their good stocks and that puts pressure on the market. So the leverage is what I want everyone to know when there's a crisis or a default, that's where it gets really, really scary. And that's where volatility on Wall Street hits big. So a company like a McDonald's saying, ah, we're gonna leave 300 restaurants behind in in Russia. That's no big deal. But a Barclays who's got $20 billion in loans in Russia, when those loans start to fail, it has to be made up elsewhere because big money gave small money a loan. 
And that one loan, they have to replicate that 20 times to pull off size and efficiency. Leverage is what hurts. Now, to me, it doesn't kill the system. It just shocks the system. And that shock can be very volatile and it could feel very dramatic and it can feel like it's killing you. From 2006, 2008 was a painful time to own a home. I bought a home in 2008 that was 40% off from its all-time highs just two years earlier. I sold that home 12 years later, more than doubling the price, two and a half times. Like I did really well, not two and a half times, 150%. But because I bought when other people were being deleveraged, I was leveraging. But the deleveraging is what most people feel in Wall Street as its roller coaster. Whether it's Russia, whether it's, like I said, Orange County had a pension problem. And it causes market events that feel like bear markets or corrections. And they're never fun. But we'll get through it. And that may mean lending money to countries becomes tougher. It may mean lending money to consumers is tougher. Uh, But we'll get through it. Just throwing that down there for you. It's interesting. We're starting to open back up as a nation. And one of the areas that I'm fascinated by studying is, do you know how in 2020, 2021, We got a lot of government assistance from the Trump administration, the Biden administration, spending plans to the tune of trillions. One of the things we've never really studied is what happens when you stop giving social programs, i.e. spending, giving money to individuals for not working during COVID. What happens when we pull that back? Well, one thing we're learning on the fly is a lot of people don't want to go back to work, or if they do, they want to get paid better. Totally fine. Get it. But we still don't know what it's like to stand on our own of earning money versus being given money as a nation. Now, again, you're like, I didn't make money. I know a lot of people who got COVID money, a lot. Um, whether it be small business loans or whether it be just checks. <clears throat> so was our economy on a sugar high in the last two years, i.e. government sugar? How does it do when it doesn't have the sugar? So what you're hearing now in 2022 is a lot of people talking about the leverage of Russia, and you're talking about the sugar being gone and replaced with earned income versus government income. Very different. Have you ever met anyone who's worked at a DMV? And this is a shot at the DMV, and this is supposed to be funny. And I know there's a DMV employee listening right now. He's going to write a letter of complaint. And Mr. Shields, my boss, is going to bring me into the office one more time. And he goes, did you say this? I'm like, no, that was Gary Radich. He goes, no, Gary Radich works at TV, you work in radio. Um, I think he said this. I'm like, yeah, I probably did. Um, I think we all kind of know the DMV and the U.S. Postal Service has a reputation of not being very efficient. Now, again, it's a joke. I know. I'm like, I'm softening it even before I say it. But government work isn't nearly as efficient as private sector. So... I work for a company right now that if they don't get a certain number of clients or they don't get a certain number of brand or they don't get a certain number of positive feedback, they will fire me. Um, They're not going to say, oh, you had a bad day and you didn't deliver to all the houses. They're not going to say, oh, you threw the mail away. We can't really fire you because you're a government worker. They're not going to say you're at the DMV. You're allowed to take four breaks an hour. (laughs) Like I don't have that. It's a lot more accountable. 
anyway, um, here's something that's like a no-brainer of 2022 is do we not always learn lessons? Gas prices rocket. Guess what else rockets? Electric vehicle prices. Tesla's like, oh, we're raising prices. And they're saying, oh, it's a nickel shortage. A, a nickel shortage. We don't have enough commodities to make our vehicles, so we're going to have to jack the prices. A little part of me is a little speculative on that. Like, ah, it sounds a little shady. Or as my kids like to say, sus. Sus being short for suspect. <laughs> and you're saying like, I know, I didn't. I was like, what does sus mean? What's the co- what, what are kids' codes these days? Um, so electric vehicle prices are starting to be marked up. Is it because of high gas prices or is it because of shortage of commodities or is it because of both? Something tells me it's kind of both. Okay. I hate saying this. But Pokemon cards, I think, are the worst investment. But listen to this craziness. A rare first edition Pokemon card sells for over $300,000 at auction. If you collected Pokemon cards in the 1990s, now might be a good time to pull them out after a rare first edition Charizard number four card sold Thursday for $336,000 last week. The Charizard number four card, first released in the United States in 1999, was given a PSA Gem 10 grade, a perfect mark. I don't get it. It's a piece of paper that's laminated. It's got some foil in it. It's maybe got a hologram on it. Total cost to make, probably 30 cents. Going for 300000 Now, here's my thought on this. A lot of you are like, I'm going to go after baseball cards. Well, that was in 1950s and 60s where you could do well. Not quite as well today because everyone's doing it. Pokemon cards, a little bit late for that fad. If you want to learn a fad, learn a fad. Get our, Go to a hobby shop. Start finding out what's the next big thing. And you're going to probably invest in 10 of them and nine of them are going to fail. Chasing Bitcoin to me feels like you're chasing or all the altcoins, the doji coins and all the weird ones. Chasing those feels like you're late to the party. Chasing Pokemon feels like you're late to the party. Baseball cards are late to the party. You got to get in in front and you got to fail in nine of your ventures. One of them might work out. And if it works out, it'll turn a 30 cent card into 300,000. That ain't my kind of odds. I don't like failing nine times to maybe get a hit. And that's not a good batting average for me, but you're you. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Joining me today, Adam Phillips, CFA, CFP, Director of Portfolio Strategy with EP Wealth. I kind of was coming up with a title, trying to save a little bit of work, navigating the stock market in 2022. We have higher oil prices, Ukraine, Russia, inflation, interest rates pending, um, an election year midterm cycle. We still have COVID issues, kind of maybe we're thinking. And we have the Fed Reserve this week. For the year, the NASDAQ's down 17.9%. The SP 500 down 11.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 9.3%. 10 year Treasury sitting right around 2.04%. So it's playing with that two level, going back to one nine, playing with two. Interesting that we work through this. Oil was over $100 a barrel, having a big year this year, up about 40% year-to-date. Adam, navigating 2022, what do we need to know? Yeah, well, look, this is, uh, I, I think that the themes this week are really going to be the same as, as last week when you get down to it. it, it it's about inflation. It's about the Fed and, and how they're going to respond to these ongoing challenges, right? They, they're 
we, we've talked about before how we don't envy their position. They have their, their policy meeting this week. It starts uh, tomorrow on Tuesday, ends on Wednesday. And so we can talk about that, how they are preparing to, to lift off here, to move off of this zero bound and raise interest rates. But you know, it, it's really, I, I think that investors are trying to navigate this environment and really trying to read the tea leaves of what the Fed has planned, not just in what's in store for this coming policy meeting, but also throughout the year, because now it seems that inflation is likely to be with us for some time. And I think that investors are taking a step back and saying, okay, well, what does this mean for stocks and, and the pressure that could uh, put on corporate earnings, but also on that whole theme about a reopening economy and consumption in the U.S.? Um, and we're talking about, I think, uh, uh, average gasoline prices in the U.S. are something like $4.35 uh, a gallon for, for regular unleaded. Um, I, I think those watching in, in California are probably thinking, wow, that sounds like a pretty good price. I, I, I wish that I could fill up for, for that amount. But um, you know, still, it's, it's about a, a buck 50 above where it was this time last year. And so that's real. And, and, and we're starting to see that play into uh, confidence data. And, and so we're asking ourselves, some of the things that we're watching is things like high frequency data. And, and we were so hopeful that we were moving beyond this, this COVID-19 pandemic. And obviously there's some news about this, uh, the, this stealth variant um, and, and China is dealing with that right now. I saw this morning, but uh, it, it seems as though, you know, that, that whole the, the, the question of the rebounding and, and reopening economy is, is kind of put into question now uh, because of gas prices and, and the uncertainty around energy, right? And, and we're, I, I think there are some, um, there are some um, you know, comments being made that, that I heard last week about, well, now everyone can go out and travel. They can go and hit the road again, but it's a lot more expensive to do that. So do they really want to, right? And so I think the jury's still out on, on what this does for economic growth, but I think that's really the question that invest, uh, investors are trying to answer right now and what that means for the rest of the year. Yeah, anecdotally, let me catch up on some of the things you glossed over quickly. Um, China is having a COVID issue right now, a flare up, an Apple factory shut down for a week, so there's going to be some hiccups. Um, what else do we need to hit as far as um, fixing some of this ideas? Inflation, anecdotally, I planned a vacation for the upcoming weeks, and it's about 40% higher than it was two to three years ago, so we're feeling all this. Now, the Fed has a meeting this week, Adam, um, and it's widely expected 25 basis points, speculated 50 basis points, but we throw in the Ukraine-Russia uh, scenario, war, whatever you want to call it. And the Fed, do they have more leeway now? Do they have a little bit more room to go slower to protect our economy from the Russian economy spilling over and tightening up? Or do you think it's um, kind of a separate issue? Well, I think it's something they need to think about, but I don't think they have the luxury of uh, of, of flexibility of, of patience anymore. I, I think that many uh, are already saying that they're a little bit late to to the game here in, in removing this policy accommodation. They can't afford to wait much longer. I think what what this conflict has done is it's reduced the odds of. Um, of, of a more hawkish approach, meaning a say a 50 basis point increase uh, to the Fed funds rate at this at this coming meeting uh, on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and so they're likely to raise by 25 basis points. So I, I think what we're likely to see is a more gradual move towards policy normalization. But I don't think that they can just kind of sit there and see and, and, and say, let's just wait this out and see what happens. You know, last week we got the uh, the CPI report, the latest inflation numbers. It showed that. For the first time in what seems like a long time, uh, the inflation number for the month of February came in about 
where it was expected, um, but it still doesn't mean that it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was a great report. You know, prices rose eight tenths of a percent month over month. That's a huge number. If you think over the long term, what, what you generally see is two tenths of a percent of month over month increase in prices on average. So eight tenths of a percent, that's a pretty meaningful move just month over month. And we know that this report in the month of February captured excuse me, it did not capture a lot of the uh, the huge surge in energy prices because uh, a lot of that has happened in March. And so it's likely to get uh, that inflation pressure is likely uh, going to increase uh, or, or get worse before it gets better, at least over the short term here. And so I think that's what is really going on in the Fed's mind. And they're looking at the fact that employment, unemployment rate is, is at 3.8%. We just added 700,000 jobs. So I think they can justify Moving forward at this meeting, and uh, and certainly with inflationary pressures continuing to creep up, they they need to get going here. I saw that gasoline in the last week kind of cut prices for the first time in a long time, still up fifty percent year over year. Uber and Lyft are doing a surcharge on gasoline uh, trips for both the eats as well as the drive. Producer prices come out this week. It, producer price index is that important to you, or less important than CPI? I'm just trying to pick up some wealth of knowledge from you. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it is important. It's important to know what these companies are, are paying. And I, I think that CPI gets more, more of the attention because we know we're a consumer-driven economy. I think a lot of these things, consumer prices do uh, factor into confidence. And obviously, consumers need to feel good if they're going to be willing to go out and spend and, and fuel this economy. But I think producer prices, what we're likely to get this week, I think they're important because, you know, in, in economics, Economics is about choices, right? And so a lot of these companies are seeing higher costs. And so they have a choice. They have a choice of whether to absorb those costs on their own, in which case it hits their bottom line and we see cuts to, to corporate earnings, or they have a choice to pass it on to consumers. Um, but these, we know that inflation doesn't just magically disappear as much as we wish that it would. Um, so I, I think that's why we are still focused on producer prices in, in the data this week. Uh, we're, we're going to be you know, interested to see um, what, what, the, what the hit or impact is on these companies. Have you started taking a look at potentially debt crisis coming out of Russia and maybe becoming a contagion? The United States doesn't have as much exposure as, say, Europe does. But what's the feeling on Wall Street as far as debt contagion? Because in the past, we've seen debt contagions one default leads to three defaults, which leads to six defaults. Is that scenario being talked up or even on the table at this point? You know, I, I think that the the prospect of, of uh, Russian default has, has certainly increased. The rating agencies have been, um, uh, they've been cutting the, uh, uh, the ratings for, for Russia and, and its sovereign debt over the last several, several days and, and weeks. And so I, I think the, the odds of a default are increasing. I, I think when it comes to contagion, I would think that the, the U.S. is uh, pretty well insulated. And, and I think that most uh, major economies, you know, at the end of the day, um, Russia is not very widely held. Um, it, it was a small percentage of the global index, uh, which is cap weighted to begin with, um, mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of, of uh, uh, foreign debt or outstanding. And, and so it's a relatively small market. I, I still think that it doesn't mean that uh, everyone's going to escape this thing unscathed. Uh, there's going to be financial institutions that did have some exposure. There's going to be some funds and, and companies that did have exposure. But I think as far as a contagion where this spreads and leads to some type of uh, of uh, 
uh, credit event ac across other uh, types of, uh, of countries or, uh, or major holders of, of Russian debt. I, I think that that's something that's, I, I think, being talked about, but it's a relatively low risk right now. And, and, and so we are not too concerned. And we're happy that you know, the, the funds that we own on behalf of clients uh, have, have no direct exposure to Russia as well right now, which I should mention. So we're happy about that as well. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is The Rob Black Show.